They may not have seen it all, but they've experienced. Fourth and 26. Stinks in a trash. AI's crossover. Throwing batteries at J.D. Drew. Brad Lidge hugging Carlos Ruiz. The Legion of Doom. And thousands of wins and losses over three decades of fandom. Talking sports with a passion only Philly fans can comprehend. It's the Brotherly Love Podcast. Here are your hosts, Joe O'Donnell and John Mita. What is up, SoundCloud.com? The good vibes of the Brotherly Love Podcast in full effect here on SoundCloud.com. Joe O'Donnell, John Mita here with you, nearing in on episode 60. Not that that means squat. Johnny Mita, what's up, brother? What's happening, Joe? How you doing, my man? I am keeping it real, brother. As always, I'm fired up for this podcast, even though it is a basketball-centric one, one where your expertise (laughs) will shine. I am still as fired up as always. Quick overview for the peeps on SoundCloud.com. Quickly, though, follow us on Twitter, at BelovePodcast. It's a hoops-heavy edition, to say the least. We'll wrap up the NBA Finals, which ended last night in dramatic fashion. The NBA draft is this week, so we'll have some Sixers talk. And the Philadelphia Phillies have hit rock bottom, I think. Uh, So all that plus a spread to love here on this week's edition of the Brotherly Love Podcast. So Johnny Mita, last night, Game 7. Well, actually, we'll have some listener interaction on this episode as well, so stay tuned for that. So Johnny Mita, NBA Finals wrap up last night. The Cavs, the Cleveland Cavaliers, win a thrilling Game 7, 93-89. It was the closest game of the series. The only one where neither team cracked 100 points. The Cavaliers and a championship drought for the city of Cleveland that dates back 52 years as far as major championships go. So Cleveland Rocks has a title now. The Cavs coming from behind, first team ever to win the best of seven when trailing three games to one. They get it done last night. LeBron James, the unanimous MVP, no doubt about it in my mind. Triple-double in game seven. Back-to-back 40-point games when they were on the ropes, even to force a game seven. And, um, uh, hey, you got to give credit where credit's due. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, LeBron had a lot of critics. And, of course, I was one of them. I mean, I never discounted his his greatness as a player. But uh, he really came up large. The backs were against the wall and him and Kyrie Irving. You're also going to give Kyrie Irving some props. He hit that big three-point shot last night to give the Cavaliers the lead. But uh, LeBron's just all-around game was fantastic. The block that he had on Andre Iguodala was a signature moment yep. in Game 7 yep. in that game. And yeah, he, he put it all on the line. It looked like the Warriors were kind of running out of gas. I believe the injury, Bogan injury had a big effect on them. Uh, it's, it's, it's hard to say how much it had an effect on them, but you could tell they were definitely missing his rebounding presence. And also, if you look at the Golden State Warriors big men, he was the one guy that you can maybe get something out on the offense at. Yeah. A guy like Maurice Spates or Festus Azili, they're not really offensive players. And Tristan Thompson was kind of an unhelded player for the Cavaliers, and he was coming up huge if it was not rebounding inside and, and drawing fouls. And, and there's some players that came up really small for the Golden State Warriors, and one of them has to be Harrison Barnes. The guy just had a dreadful NBA final. 
Uh, game six, he had zero points last night. He's going to hit the broad side of a barn. Golden State's bench just came up small early in the series when they took, you know, took the lead. They were on fire, and then they just died out. And who's to say? It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. If Steph Curry was a little more injured than let on, but the one sequence that I'm going to talk to you about, Joe, is kind of crazy. Like, well, I was just shaking my head and asking. You know, what the hell is going on here was Cleveland goes up three points, Kyrie Irving hits it, Golden State comes down, they can't make a shot, Cleveland ball, uh, they're inbounding the ball, they throw it in the backcourt, Clay Thompson defending, I think it might have been Kyrie Irving, and they don't foul immediately. You're talking there's 18 seconds to go on the shot clock, and there's no foul. Like, I don't know if that's just something Steve Kerr just didn't reiterate to his guys, like, foul immediately. But if you don't get that steal in the inbound, time is, is, at, is precious at that moment in the game. And you have to savor every single second. You should have fouled immediately. Then you put somebody on the line. You hope he makes one or two. You know, you come down. You're down four points. You get a three. You give yourself... A chance. Yeah, you have and to extend the game, and they didn't extend the game. You know, as you said, the shot clock's unplugged, and basketball—all of basketball. I don't—I don't watch the NBA regularly. Last night yeah. was probably the first time I watched a full NBA game, and I don't even know how long. All right, yeah. and let me tell you something. Even I know you foul. You have to foul immediately. No question. And, and and it's amazing how many times, not just basketball, but on the big stage. How many times the fundamentals of the game are lost? Players just, I don't know if it's the pressure, the magnitude, but there's no way in hell that everybody on that court for Golden State, if you wrote down the the, the problem, right, if it was a question like, there are 20 seconds left, the shot clock is unplugged, the other team has the ball and they're leading, do you foul immediately? Like, they would they would write yes. But then when, when the lights are on and the whistle blows and that ball's inbounded it's like a brain fart it's unbelievable it was i was just dumbfounded the whole the whole sequence i'm like what are they doing and Golden state they just blew it i mean down the the last three minutes of the game they got terrible shots yeah they didn't score a point like the last close to five minutes of the game yeah what made them great and what made them one of the best teams you know the best regular season team this year was their unselfishness and their ball movement, and obviously player movement. But they're just when they try to do too much one on one, it just it's not their style. Yeah, it didn't work for them. You brought up a great point really about Andrew Bogut, Johnny made it because now that I'm rehashing some of those sequences late in the game last night in Game Seven, of the NBA Finals, again Cavs win at ninety three yeah. eighty nine. They had no inside game. They didn't throw it into the post once. Yeah. Well, who are you going to go with? Well, exactly. Bob Anderson Barajal? They were like trying to dump down to him like he's going to give you something. Yeah. It was just, it was just tragic. Look, and and they, they missed that. They just missed his presence on the defensive end. And obviously, I mean, he's good. He can give you 10 points a game easily yeah. inside. And that was missing for a couple games. And it, it really, it, I didn't think, I didn't realize how significant the injury would be. But, I mean, let's take nothing away from the Cavs. It is pretty historic what they did. The fact that if you look at the stats, I read a stat yesterday. It was crazy. 
is that the away team is three and fifteen in Game Seven of the NBA Finals. Wow! So, yeah, historic comeback by the Cavaliers, and hey, LeBron proved why he's one of the best players of all time. He, and, um, Le- LeBron, led the Finals. I saw this today on ESPN in points, rebounds, blocks, steals, and assists. There wasn't a player in the series that recorded more of those five categories. Not one category. All five swept by LeBron James. And you talked about the block. It was the play of the series, maybe the play that will be remembered the most. And it's a defensive effort play by King James. Here's how it sounded on ABC with Mike Breen on the call. And to me, John Mita, that's the turning point. You know, it's a it's a 89-89 game, less than two minutes left. Golden State yep. ends up with a rebound. It's a fast break. It's Curry and Iguodala. Yep. It's a two-on-one. Iguodala gave up the ball, which you're supposed to uh-huh. do, right? Curry yeah. gave it back to him, which I think was a bit telegraphed. Um, uh-huh. because the one defender back, I don't remember who it was, was able to really yeah. get over and force Iguodala away from a dunk and force him to the backboard for a layup. But if you watch the reverse angle, the the last four or five strides that LeBron James made, he just <laughs> eyed that thing up, and there was no way in hell, unless Iguodala went to the rack and tried to dunk it, that that thing was getting past uh-huh. it. He, it was almost goaltending. It was a smidge shy of goaltending. Oh, yeah. When it when it, when it happened, I said, did I, you know, I was asking around, I was watching a board time. I'm like, did that hit the board? It looked like it might have grazed the board, and he just pinned it cleanly right before it got there. Yep. And it was, man, it was it was phenomenal. I mean, just and you gotta love that out of him because you know you have great scorers in this league. And let's face it, Stephen Curry will be known for his scoring and his shooting prowess. It was something that he's not going to be known for. Is, is this game on the defensive end. And you look at a guy like LeBron, and he does it in all phases. But when he, I, I mean, to watch him, and I've seen him do this countless times, to watch him come down and track somebody from behind, it was... It's scary. You know, oh, it's scary. It's scary. Man, it was fantastic, man. I'm glad you had the audio on that, man. It's pretty cool. All right, Johnny Mita, does this change LeBron James's legacy in your mind? Woo! Um, I think it's pretty big. Um, I really do. I think it's clearly he's lost a couple other finals, some of the teams that he's taken the finals, but this is pretty good. When you go down three to one and you're basically on best doorstep as far as the series go, and you find a will your team back. And that's what he had to do early in the series. I mean, we might have I said, listen, for him to win this series, he has to have that that go-to, that cut-through, we're not losing, give the ball to me, and that takeover mentality that some of the greatest players in the game had it. Michael Jordan has it, right? Kobe had it. And he finally, after they lost the first two games, when he had that performance when he was dropping 40, I think it really sunk in that he needed to do more and, and be less of a facilitator for his team. And be more of the go-to. Yeah, because Kevin loves not giving you squat when it matters. Oh God, you know, fraud. He is such a fraud. I love it. Kevin Love started celebrating. I was like, look at that fraud. Here, here's my here's my answer to the question: Does this change LeBron's legacy? And I, I'll say yeah. this to start: only in Cleveland. 
okay? Because that city yeah. was starved. And he brought home yeah. the promise that he made to them. You know, he bailed yeah. out with the decision. They were burning jerseys, rioting in the streets. They hated LeBron. Oh, no. Now oh, he's, yeah. you know, now he's the second son again, all right? But LeBron James is still three and four in finals appearances. So he still lost more championships then he's won. And yeah. I know that might sound a little bit crazy, but that puts him yeah. behind Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and yeah. Tim Duncan. And that's just from our generation as far as winning goes. That's not even counting yeah. Magic and Bird and Wilt and the guys that you and I really didn't see that much. Okay? It, it's amazing. All right? And I'm going to take this another step now, a different direction. It's amazing the way, again, with sports, I always talk about this, when you, when you go back and you have the hindsight and you talk about just the ebbs and flows of the public opinion. Okay, I've said this before, but it's amazing. You look at the Warriors and Steph Curry were so revered all season long. Greatest team ever. Greatest of all time. Then they're down 3-1 to Oklahoma City. People are jumping off that ship left and right like the Titanic. Then they come back and win that series. Oh my God, they're back. What a team. Can't be stopped. They're up 3-1 on the Cavs. And you and I are like, well, back-to-back champs. Dynasty building. And now... I mean, they're just a core group of guys with one championship and a regular season record. And I'm not trying to diminish what they've done in two years, three years. But now they go back to the drawing board and have to be hungrier than they were before when October rolls around again. Fair? Yeah, absolutely fair. Um, And this is going to haunt them for a long time because they were... We all know how difficult it is to repeat in sports. Like, difficult. Like, in pro sports, if you repeat, you've built, like, a really good organization, team, whatever you want to call it. It hasn't happened in the National Hockey League in, you know, since the late 90s. Right. So, it's it's one of those things, like, it's hard to do. And, you know, they're going to get hungry. And they had it. And you look at it, you know, how how terrible does Draymond Green feel? You know, he gets suspended for game five. It's a home game in Golden State. Yep, turns the series around. 3-1 in the series, and he gets suspended. And they were in that game, but they just needed that extra punch that he might have provided in that game. Yep. And they don't get it done, and they let him back in. And what are you going to do? Rest is history. Yep. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that's 73-9. Because they didn't stamp it off with an NBA Finals win, you know, the Bulls are celebrating like yeah. 72 Dolphins, right? Yeah. And Jordan, I saw a picture, I think Jordan Robin and Pippen drinking champ. I don't know. But it's they're still, in my mind, being in my mind, they were fantastic to watch all year. Their unselfishness. They were must-see TV. And for the NBA to have a team like that where they're must-see TV, it was great for the league. But... There's also, uh, we bring up fixing in sports, and I'm, I'm not saying that the series was fixed. You know, Cleveland deserved it, but there was shaky officiating. Really shaky. Like, real bad. Like, really, really terrible. And <laughs> I ran into an old coach of mine last night, and I said, I said to him, he's a Garrett Hill guy, Jim Patch, and I said, Max, did you watch the game? I remember him doing wow last night. And he goes, that was the worst officiated. He said the NBA should be embarrassed with how that was officiated. I would sit those officials in a room and let them know how they changed the game, and then they would never work another playoff game again. 
And there's just an outsider. He has no allegiance to one team or the other. Yeah. And he basically just said that. And listen, the guy's a slime bag. Tim Donahue, the ref that got caught for fixing games. Yeah. He, he, he's a slime bag. But he said that the NBA, the reason why they suspended Draymond Green was to extend the series. And you don't know why when Draymond Green kicked Stephen Adams in the hoo-hoos, you don't know why he didn't get suspended then because they wanted Golden State to move on. I don't know. I'm sorry. It just game six, I thought the officiating was actually worse than game seven. But, you know, what do you uh, I, just so many late whistles. I don't know. I wish I, I wish I had X Files music to queue up. Yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Conspiracies <laughs> abound. Yeah, exactly. All right, Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com. Quick timeout. We'll talk Sixers in the NBA draft. A little listener interaction. We'll dive into the fills and we'll spread the love as well. Stay with us. You're listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast, exclusively on SoundCloud.com. All right, welcome back. It is the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com. John Mita, I am Joe O'Donnell. Appreciate all the love and support. Check us out on Twitter at BelovedPodcast. We talked NBA Finals. They are in the books. The Cavs are the champs. They're racing a 3-1 series deficit. We'll continue with the basketball conversation now because the draft is this week. It's crazy to me that the NBA will have the title lifted and then like 48 hours later, you got to start making draft picks if you're a GM. So, um Gets good news for the Cavs and Warriors GM is they don't have to don't have to pick early in the first round. They have a few extra minutes to think about it. But uh, the draft is this week. The Sixers have the number one overall pick. We talked about it when the draft lottery occurred, John Mita. Um, let's begin with where you think the Sixers should go as you look at the draft coming up on Thursday. Yeah, this Thursday is basically going to change franchise history. This is the biggest draft since when the Sixers took Allen Iverson. This is monumental. They have the number one overall pick. There's two guys in the discussion right now, obviously Ben Simmons from LSU and Brandon Ingram from Duke. And it is a strong toss-up. I think the Sixers are going to lean to the saucy Aussie, Ben Simmons from LSU. I think the reason for that is everybody's kind of calling him the clear-cut favorite, the most talented player. Uh, Maybe not the most talented scorer, so to speak, but the most talented player in the draft. And I think they're going to take Ben Simmons number one. Brett Brown has a relationship with Ben Simmons' father. He's known him for a while. Now ben Simmons made the decision not to work out for the Sixers. You know, some people don't find that a big deal. I find it somewhat a little troubling. You want to see what the kid's made of. You want to see how he reacts to going up against NBA competition. You could bring some of your players in to work out against them and the one thing I gotta I gotta be honest here, the red flags that scare me with Ben Simmons is this guy has just been handed like a two hundred million dollar contract from Nike as an endorsement. Now he's basically signed with LeBron James Sports Agency and LeBron's calling it that he's a mentor to him. But I just hope this guy just doesn't come into the league like 
I'm the greatest thing ever. Everything should be handed to me. As opposed to, I want the guy that wants to work his tail off to be the absolute best. So that's the one red flag I see. Talent-wise, the, the, it's all there. Uh, the jump shot is another troubling concern. Former coach of Philadelphia, Jim Lynham, said that it was broken. I don't really think it's that bad. Uh, Evan Turner's jump shot was completely broken. It was like a stun missile with no rotation. <laughs> this guy, I mean, this guy's, you know, I don't know if you saw the video clip. You know, he basically self-served himself with the basketball, the soccer move, and then shot a three-pointer and it was nothing but net. But I, I just hope he understands the magnitude of what it is they're going to come and play in the city of Philadelphia. That's the other thing that athletes in the city don't understand. Like once you get drafted here, you got to get it. You got to get what it's all about to be here. And if you just work hard and play as hard as you can and get everything you have, even though it might not be good enough, the Philly fans will love and respect you forever. So I think they make the pick Ben Simmons. There's a lot of things going on that, that might basically change change up. You don't know if they're going to tr- trade to real local for. That's also in the discussion. What are your thoughts on it, Jeff? My thoughts are I hate Ben Simmons. I hate him <laughs> like I hate Carson Wentz. All right? And, you know, I, I don't know why you would downplay. Well, it's just the, the one red flag is it's a huge red flag, okay? And there shouldn't be any yeah. red flags. I don't like the diva-type baggage that's associated with Ben Simmons. Now, I don't watch a lot of college basketball. I don't watch a lot of the NBA. So you can you can call my bluff all you want here. But I'm just going to tell you, from a sports fan perspective, I don't like that this kid has character issues. It's not just me. I'm not making this up. I'm telling you what I read, what I hear. Okay, they Nobody was talking about these character issues in October and November. They were talking about how great Ben Simmons was, clear-cut number one pick. Now we're closer to the draft, and it's a toss-up. And to me, it's a toss-up because the guy isn't all there. All right, He's got this baggage. All right, I don't like the fact that he wasn't working out for NBA teams. I hate that. Who the hell does he think he is? All right? I know his agent, Rich Paul, said it was his call. He instructed Ben Simmons not to work out for the Sixers and a bunch of other teams. But I blame Ben Simmons, his family, whoever else is in his ear agreeing with that decision. Tell your agent to pound sand. He's going to get his money regardless. If he says don't work out, why not show up and work out? Say, listen, Rich Paul, you're getting your 6%, whatever the hell it is. Beat it. The whole endorsement thing drives me up a wall. There was reports waiting to see if he'll be drafted by Los Angeles because he can get more money with certain sneaker companies in L.A. I hate it. All of it just smells of a boomer bust situation. All right? The fact he couldn't get LSU into the NCAA tournament. If there's ever a sport where one guy, where one star player can elevate the team, it's basketball for Christ's sake. I don't care LeBron James is a big brother to him. That doesn't mean squat. This kid has had his character question for months now. He could have easily changed that by maybe working out for some teams, addressing the situation. Didn't do it. I read today that there are some folks on the Australian national team, some players, some staff members that don't particularly care for him. Ben Simmons scares me. All right, There's not nearly enough people raving about him like there was months ago. He's got boomer busts written all over him. I'd rather go with a kid like Brandon Ingram from Duke who spent a year under Coach K's watch. Granted, just a year, but Coach K, I trust him. I trust that program down there. He would have Brandon Ingram ready for the pro game. You know, Ben Simmons, John Mita, 
in the SEC semifinal had his team beaten by like 40 points. What what kind of way is that to go out for your college career? They don't make the NCAA tournament. Did he make his teammates around him better at all during the season? I, it doesn't appear on the surface he did. So to me, the Sixers either need to draft Brandon Ingram or trade down a few spots and gobble up the best guard available because to me, there's nothing wrong with acquiring assets while you're still rebuilding. Rob, good point. I don't know if you heard this too. Is one of the reasons why he chose LSU, and maybe I brought this up before, is the fact that he was doing a documentary on himself. Yeah, exactly. And he needed a film crew. And that just, that just wears you. I mean, it does, man. I, and if you hear I've heard a ton of experts from Charles Barkley to Shaquille O'Neal to Dick Vitale. To, and people are all saying, if I was in the Sixers position, I would take ben, I would take Brandon Ingram over Ben Simmons. Even Shaq said that. Shaq played at LSU. Yeah, good point. You don't think he would just endorse an LSU Tiger? Right. Like, I th- when I look at Brandon Ingram's game, I see a guy that can get you 20 to 25 every night. He's going to be good on the defensive end. I think he's light years ahead of. We all saw that Ben Simmons wasn't, you know. And listen, I, I think you can become a better defender. Look at Kobe Bryant early on in his career. He didn't play much defense. Then he became a great defender. I think it can happen. You are right in so many ways. Like, and there's a lot of red flags here that are scary. The boomer bust factor is completely out there. But if there's any saving grace in this whole situation, I think if there's any coach that can get through to this young kid, it's it's Brett Brown. But it's, I'm with you, man. I'm scared to death here because you finally get you secure the number one spot. And the thing that stinks is these guys are kind of on an even level. It's not like one guy stands out over, right. over the other, which would just make the decision an absolute no-brainer. But it's kind of like neck and neck, and apparently, from what I understand, you know, reading some articles on Brandon Ingram's workout for the Sixers, he was terrific. They really so Bob Cooney reported that, and everyone else is kind of reporting in the city of brotherly love here that uh, they're definitely leaning towards Benson. All right, well, here, here, here's my one final take on all of that. Sure, you got one person here sitting in this chair, Philly sports fan through and through that now yeah. officially hates the rebuilding face of the Eagles franchise and the rebuilding face of the Sixers franchise. And with that, we turn our attention to <laughs> supporter number one of the Brotherly Love podcast, way out in Hawaii. We're racking up a phone bill here. Listener interaction. We love it on the Brotherly Love podcast. You want a piece of the action. You want to join the program. You just let us know. And Brian Nolan joins us from Hawaii. Joseph, Mita. How's it going, guys? Yeah, what time is it How there? Like doing, midnight? Three fifteen here. Yeah, it's We're six hours behind. You it, it's February where you're at still. I think you're that far behind us. <laughs> All right, Swole so Nolan, you are a huge basketball fan. You are a huge supporter of the Brotherly Love podcast. You and I were talking the other night. You had many opinions on the NBA Finals, the draft, the Sixers, blah blah blah, right on down the line. If it pertains to hoops, you got to take on it. So. My friend, the forum is yours. You've just heard Johnny Mead and I talk about Ben Simmons or not Ben Simmons. Where are you leaning? Simmons, all the way for me. I think the potential is too high. I know he's not going to be the next LeBron, but he's in the mold of him. He's got everything he could do right now is fantastic, except his shooting isn't great. But I don't think his shot's broken. I've seen the videos of him recently, too, that Mead brought up where he kind of kicked the ball up rainbow soccer style to him, turned around, drilled a three-pointer. 
saw a little bit longer version of that video, and his shot looks pretty good. I think people get thrown off a little bit with his shot because he's left-handed, and it just looks a little bit different. You know, we're so used to right-handed shooters in the league. But I, I don't think that's – I think it's something he can work on. I mean, look at LeBron. LeBron had a bad night shooting last night in the finals, but he's still the MVP. He still changed the game in so many ways. That block, the signature block he had, and I think that's what we hope Simmons can turn into. Somebody that can, in all facets of the game, be an important part. Whether it's defense, uh, it's his passing, it's his vision. He can be a 6'10 point guard. I think that's what we're most excited about with him. And the other red flags we'll bring up, saying maybe character, work ethic issues, I think a lot of that is that he just has a spotlight on him so hard. So we're looking for things that are really wrong. And I'm somewhat concerned about them. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I'm not throwing it away. Not like I know this guy personally or know anybody that knows him personally. But the encouraging thing to me is that it sounds like he's working out a ton. He didn't just say, I'm going to be a number one pick. I'm just going to sit around and just wait for somebody to draft me, and I'll get millions of dollars. He's working his tail off, supposedly, from all the reports. Supposedly, he's put on 20 pounds of muscle somehow, which is a little weird. Like, I don't know how you put on 20 pounds of muscle in just about a month or two months, however, since the uh, college basketball season ended for him. But he's working on his shot. He's putting on weight. He's good kind. And um, I think that's what we have to look forward to. And he might be a little bit of a diva, but I'd rather have somebody be sure, cocky, and confident of themselves than be soft and look soft. Um, and Philly fans will jump all over that. You know, they hate a guy that's soft. Um, we hate and love T.O., and we love T.O. because he was the cockiest player ever. But he backs it up, and that's what we're hoping this kid does. He backs it up, and I'm sure he'll get pushed around a little bit the first year or two, but maybe he'll get put in his place, and he'll learn, and, and he'll be the next big thing for Philly. And I hope so, because I love the Sixers, and they suck really, really badly right now, and the team's a mess. All they have are centers, and now we're going to draft another 6'10 guy. But um, that's my thoughts. Oh, and Ingram. Real quickly, I think the spotlight's left on him. And people, everybody keeps saying this guy's this amazing shooter, amazing shooter. I agree, he's a good shooter, but he shot 68% from the free throw line in college. Now, every great shooter I know of in the NBA, they're always at least like an 80% free throw shooter. I mean, you look at Curry, Thompson, uh, Reggie Miller, Ray Allen, guys like that, or three, any three-point specialist, Corver, I don't know, whoever else you want to name in the league. They shoot at least 80% from the free-throw line. So somebody that's supposed to be a great shooter that's only shooting 68%, I don't know. I mean, granted, I know he's really young, but skinny too. And I don't know. We, you, you want him to be the next Durant, but I don't know. It's scary. So sorry, long rant. No, there. it's good, but, brother. Uh, that's what we're looking for. Yeah. You're in Ben Simmons' corner. I appreciate that. I'm just concerned character-wise. I'm going to be a bust too, but... Nolan, would you yeah. would you trade Jaleel Oka for What are your thoughts on that? What they should do with him right now? Because obviously I think he is your greatest asset as far as getting pull in return of what you could get most in the deal. Definitely in that uh, in that facet. He is our most tradable asset. Uh, I don't want to trade him. I love to watch. It's embarrassing to say, but I watched probably at least 50 to 60 Sixers games last year. Um, and I only watched because of him. Because he was so fun to watch on offense. Now, he looked lost on defense at times. But when he was engaged defensively, he's pretty good one-on-one. He just, he's not a good help defender, and he can't come off the pick and roll well. But if he can work on that, I'd rather have a guy who's unstoppable on offense like him, especially playoff time when you run into a lot more half-court sets, and you just give him the ball and be like, do it. You know, 
make your spin move and put it in because he, he's crazy. I wish he could jump a little bit higher. That's all. I just wish the dude could just throw down some dunks sometimes. But unfortunately, we got a mess at center. We got Noel, and then we got Okafor, and then we had Embiid and waiting. And and Embiid, all these things we're talking about might not mean anything because Embiid could possibly be transcended. When they were having Ingram's workout and everybody was so enamored with his workout, reporters were barely paying attention to Ingram. They were looking over their shoulders at Embiid in the background. <laughs> he just looks like a man, a man amongst boys. Yeah. It's crazy. He is a humongous human being, and he looks really, really talented. And if he stays healthy, then we don't need Noel, and we don't need Okafor. So, I don't know. It's hard. I, I, I'd like to see maybe if we could keep Okafor and all them until at least the deadline and just see if we can bring his trade value up as high as possible. Great. Good have, stuff, we, brother. We just, it's there's a lot of bigs, and I don't know how we're going to make it work time-wise. Not to mention psychological, you know? All these guys want to be the man. They, no, neither, none of them wants to come off the bench or play only 15 minutes or, uh, I don't know. I mean, Hinky set us up for a good future, but he also never, I think, thought of, like, the psychological aspect of what it does to be a perpetual loser, have all your peers laughing at you, the media laughing at you, the fans laughing at you, you know, and that's, the hardest part of this rebuild, I think, for me, is just being a laughing stock of the league. That's why the Colangelo yeah, squared are going to get paid the big bucks to make these decisions. And, uh, yeah, I know. And all the hinkyites are scared as hell that the Colangelos are going to make some bonehead move. And, and unfortunately, we, if we do get rid of one of our bigs, which is probably likely, we're not going to get fair value back. I don't think we can. I, I think we have to no. sell a little bit low, unfortunately, and just find and just start putting a roster together because development, developmentally wise, we, we just can't go out there like we did last year with no real point guard. I mean, the good thing is, and I think something like moving forward, what they need to do is you got to find a way trade Jaleel Okafor, one of the bigs, or maybe Noel. And I, I'd even consider trading Dario Sarge because maybe he goes to a team if you can offer him up to a team like. When it first came out, he always wanted to play for the Lakers. So maybe they pull a rabbit out of the hat, like, listen, we'll trade your rights down way. You trade a Mocha for two, and then you get the number two pick, and now you get Brandon Ingram plus Ben Simmons. And then you sprinkle in. But I think if there's one thing they need to achieve here is they got to get some backcourt help. And they have two first-rounders at number 24 and 26. They're not going to bring anything substantial. So I think it's imperative for them to deal with the big guys, maybe deal a future first-rounder. You still get LA's pick next year. You got the pick swap with Sacramento. They have so many so many chips on the table, so to speak, for them to make a move. And I, and I love Chris Dunn out of Providence. I've always been a fan of him. At first, I never thought that the Sixers would – be in position because I thought the NBA would screw him again. And I thought maybe, so I thought I was all about getting Chris Dunn and Buddy Heald in the backcourt with the bigs that you have. And that was my whole thing is if you get those two guys, now you have a backcourt for the next 10 years. So I think it's important that they get a guy like Chris Dunn or they got to get Jamal Murray from Kentucky, but they got to bring in some guard play desperately for this team. Because when you're throwing TJ McConnell out in the mix, it's a scary spot. Don't make fun of Rudy. You know, I Rudy, TJ McConnell. Yeah, yeah. That guy's so um, unnoticeable that he didn't even get into Xfinity Live. <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard that article. That, is, that, was, that was a funny story. I agree with you. I, I, we, we need backward help. Um, and there's no reason to necessarily sign an, an aging veteran because we're not winning anything for the next three, four years. And, you know, LeBron's still going to have another two, three years of being really good and, 
And there's a couple other upcoming teams that we're not going to pass anytime soon. So, yeah, maybe we can just get a young backcourt, you know. But it, it's hard. I'd hate to see Okafor go to the Celtics. I, I just if – we, if we do have to get rid of just send him somewhere we never watched. Send him out to Portland or somewhere out west, somewhere to Phoenix. I, I just – Minnesota. I feel like he's going to be haunting us for the next 10 years. I'd give him the Boston at three, though. Honest to God, I would pull the trigger. That Boston won him at three. I think I would do it, too, I think. All right, Swole, no good stuff, brother. Thanks, guys. Great to have you on, Appreciate what you guys are doing. It's a great show. Yeah, we appreciate the listener feedback, as always. Tell the waves in Hawaii we said what up. Will do. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Swole and Nolan. One of the biggest supporters of the Brotherly Love podcast. He, he came with some good stuff, John Mita. Put us in our place yeah, like on this it. on the fence about Ben Simmons. Yeah, man. And he did make some great points about Ben Simmons. And, and that, that's what you're dealing with. I mean, that's what we need to open pray that what he said. He's right. I mean, this guy, if he puts his mind to it, I mean, he has all the tools to be great. But when he's already having questions about his motor and those red flags are coming up, man, it just, it's like, because if they blow this pick and then Brandon, Brandon Ingram turns out to be the next coming of Kevin Durant, when Portland, remember when Portland took Greg Oden, it was like, you gotta take Greg Oden, you gotta take Greg Oden. And then Seattle ended up taking Kevin Durant and we all know how that thing worked out. So. Any final thoughts on the draft, predictions, players to watch before we shift gears and get on out of here? I think it's going to be a nice build of trades. I think the, the Sixers are going to find a way, like they said before. I think they get back into the top seven. Wow. They pull a guy like Chris Dunn, Buddy Heald. They get a shooter to pair with Ben Simmons. I think they find a way. And I don't think it's so far out of the mix, the fact that if they said, hey, we'll trade you Okafor, and Dario Sarge for the number two. And we could even, if we really want to sweeten the pot, we could give them back their first rounder next year. I don't know how that doesn't get done. And then you get, and then you get Brandon Ingram, Ben Simmons, and then you use your 24 and 26 pick to get a guy like a point guard like Tyler Ewis out of Kentucky or the guy Demetrius Jackson from Notre Dame that could be in that 20 ring. So, it's going to be a big night, man. I'm so jacked up. This is the most excited I've been for an NBA draft in a really long time. So uh, let's just hope they make the right moves and uh, get this program in, a, in the right direction. All right, let's jump to the fight and fills. Really good stuff, my friend. Appreciate it. Uh, all the insight, of course, Johnny Mita, the basketball guru on the Brotherly Love podcast. Uh, the Fighting Phils lost again today. Seven straight losses. 3-1 today to Arizona. They were outscored 22-5 to were the Fightings, or lack thereof, uh, the punchless Phils, in the four-game sweep at the hands of the D-backs. Again, outscored 22-5. to Remember at one point we, we were on, the Phillies had just won a day game. They were 24-17, and and you and I were like, yeah, I don't know, 500 seems realistic. The Phillies have gone 6-24 and 24 since then. 6-24. and 24. Uh, Michael Franco is struggling, and I absolutely hate the body language he's displaying during this stretch. Yeah. The team severely lacks veteran leadership, especially when uh, the big piece, Ryan Howard and Chuch Ruiz, are struggling the way they are. It's tough for them to lead when when they're not getting it done. Uh, huge test for Pete McCannon here. The group has not responded at all since the losing started. The bats have been silent. The defense has been error-prone. The pitching came back down to earth, especially the bullpen. I mean, it's embarrassing right now, John Mita, and I... 
I am embarrassed at myself for buying into this, to <laughs> drinking the Kool-Aid when you and I sat here and said, you know what? This team's not too bad. They're not fun to watch. They stink. And I'm concerned because I understand they weren't supposed to win this year. They weren't going to win this year. I I think I got that through all of the winning they were doing early. But this is bad baseball, and I hate bad baseball. Yeah, like the great Dennis Green from one of the most legendary press conferences of all time when he said, they all who we thought they were. (laughs) Um, It's terrible. Uh, Velasquez going on the DL, their, their starting pitching has kind of fizzled out. But the theme of this entire season is they just don't have enough bats, man. They cannot put any runs on the board. I think going into today, they've scored a total of four runs in five games or something crazy. So they're getting completely shelled. Um, It's just not a good situation. But I don't think it's it's dire straits. But I, I think 500, I think we're looking at this team wins 70 games. Uh, I would consider that a good season because the way they're looking right now, it could be even worse than that. And they're so, they're struggling. I mean, you just look at the corner outfield. I mean, they have no pop out there. They have nobody. There's no protection in the lineup for guys. Who the hell you want them to protect? Well, I mean, nobody's hitting anymore. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, you can't. Like, you bring up hey, I understand. <laughs> hey, your point, your point's valid, man. Usually, like, yeah, we got to have some protection. Yeah. If you ain't getting any. You don't need any protection. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, they are on a downward spiral. So, but bring, brings us to the breaking news today that the Phillies have agreed to terms with their number one pick, Mickey Moniak. Here we go. I just wish his last name was Morandini. Yeah, but Moniak's pretty good. I just love. I just love Harry saying Mickey Morandini. It's definitely one of the best things he's oh, ever called. Uh, that, really and I, I, I really Fair think enough. that Tomas Perez was his second favorite Philly of all time. <laughs> Harry would spend Tomas innings Perez. raving about Tomas Perez. I, I bet yeah, Tomas Perez is like a 240 career hitter. I got to look it up. All right, time to spread the love. All right. You want to start? Spread the love. Yeah, I'll start with a little spread the love. Yeah, I'm gonna spread the love to uh, an unbelievable finish. It was almost ruined by the uh, the, the higher ups of the PGA Tour uh, penalizing Dustin Johnson a stroke on something that just looked ridiculous. But you gotta give big props up to Dustin Johnson. He's always been in the mix in several majors, and last year when he blew up on 18 at Whistling Straits and let Jordan Spieth close the door on that tournament. He came back this weekend and played some excellent golf at one of the hardest golf courses in the world at Oakmont Country Club. And it was nice to see. He has all the talent in the world. Just like who we talked about before, Ben Simmons, all the talent in the world. But can he put it together? And finally, he did. So congratulations to Dustin Johnson for being the U.S. Open champion. He played the mass world golf. He's one of the longest hitters on tour. He kind of cleaned up his lifestyle. He had some off-the-course issues, a lot of too much partying, but uh, he did a nice job yesterday. And uh, who knows, it might bring golf back in. Now that Dustin Johnson's won a major, he got some young guns on board, Dustin Johnson, Jason Day, Ricky Fowler, as McElroy gets himself together. Our golf for the next decade is going to be pretty interesting. So. 
Stick Good tap, job, to, DJ. Yeah, stick tap to Justin uh, to Dustin and Johnson. I can only imagine the present that he got from Pauline. Yeah, that's where I was going. That's where I was going. Stick tap to Dustin Johnson for Paulina Gretzky, and I'm sure. Uh, it, if it is true that Chuch Ruiz and his wife conceived their child the night after Roy Halladay's perfect game, uh, pretty sure there was some conception going on, if that would be the appropriate term in the Johnson household. Uh, a Gretzky-Johnson baby might be in the making after he won his first there major. All right, good job, Johnny Mita. Uh, by the way, I'm not kidding. While you were spreading the love, I looked up Tomas Perez's career statistics. In 12 major league seasons, Tomas Perez hit a career 240. Did I nail that or did I nail that? Uh, you drilled it. And what are you going to spread the love to Tomas right now? Let's spread the love this week to the city of Cleveland. As a natural born hater, John Mita, my gut tells me that it's much better when a spot like Cleveland makes Philadelphia look like the city of champions. Well, Cleveland has closed the gap now and good for them. Honestly, 2008 is so long ago now, but don't think for a second I don't lob that out there anytime someone mentions the Phillies or the city of brotherly love. A championship is something no one can take away from you. It's something that brings a city together, something that generations of fans will cherish until they're six feet under. So congratulations to the city of Cleveland on your first major pro sports title in five-plus decades. It's been a long time coming. And that, my friend, is how we wrap up the Brotherly Love podcast. That's great love, man. That's great love there. And that music, just it really gets me in the mood. Yeah, it's very stupid. You know, it's got a little Dustin Johnson, Paulina Gretzky feel to it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're like some 70s. Uh, nah, we won't go there. <laughs> All right, dude. Any final thoughts? Final thoughts is Dear Brian Colangelo, please don't screw this up on Thursday night. <laughs> Till next time, day and night, listen to the Brotherly Love podcast on SoundCloud.com. Till the next time, for John Mead, I'm Joe O'Donnell. Uh, 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 Thanks for listening to the Brotherly Love Podcast on SoundCloud.com. Uh, 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 uh.